From the studios of their respective lounge rooms, a team of pyjama-clad TV tragics ready to slice, dice and dissect the best and worst of what's on the box. It's TV Binge Box. Just like the prodigal son, we have returned. Hello everyone, I'm Dan Bennett. Welcome to a brand new TV Binge Box podcast. I'm back with the whole gang to chat the best and worst of TV right about now. Hello to you, Steve Mulk. Uh, hello, Daniel. One is quite pleased to join uh, you. <laughs> Joke us some into I've missed your face and I expect an accent now too, please. Oh, I know. I know. I'm too rough. I'm too <laughs> rubric to do Princess Di. <laughs> I can't even try. I could maybe I'm do sure, Camilla. No, I'm I sure Mr. Dapper that. Stephen Brooke can. What have you got for us? I, I, I oh, do, but that's sounds... for later on. <laughs> You've thrown me out. Oh, oh okay. Really? We will look forward to that bumper show this week, team. Our group binge this week is season four of The Crown. So much to talk about. Joe will have that for us a little later. Plus, Brookie's back in the archives for another round of Rewind. But first, let's kick things off with... Clap or slap. Yes, it's time to find out what we've been watching and I'm kicking things off. It's been a couple Excellent. of weeks, so you probably think I'm bursting at the seams with stuff to talk about, but I'm going to keep it limited and stay focused, I promise. Good. First up... I finally got around to watching A Very English Scandal, which has now moved to Netflix and is streaming there. Mm -hmm. This is the three-part 2018 British television comedy drama miniseries exploring the Jeremy Thorpe scandal. For those who don't know the story, Thorpe was a Liberal Member of Parliament in the UK who had a secret homosexual relationship (gasps) with the much younger Norman Joseph. Thorpe ended up breaking the relationship, relationship off, but when, in 1968, he was elected leader of the Liberal Party... The disgruntled Joseph reappeared and threatened to expose the secret relationship from years gone by. It stars Hugh Grant and Ben Whishaw, who were both wonderful. Overall, I enjoyed this one, but I did struggle to get on board with the tone to start with. Playing it for comedy drama rather than just drama took a bit of getting used to for me, but once I settled into it, I enjoyed the ride. So check that one out. It's definitely worth a watch. A very English scandal Yeah, I loved that one, Dan. I loved it. Who wrote that one, Dan? I don't know, Brookie. I'm sorry. Oh, well, I can tell you. It was Russell T Davies, who was the showrunner on Doctor Who. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, wow. That really changed the tone a little bit. Of course, the Doctor Who link. But can I just say, I thought Hugh's performance in that was exceptional and I actually thought better than uh, the one we discussed last week, two weeks ago. The Undoing. With Nicole, The Undoing, Mm. yes. I thought it was. Uh, I thought he played it fantastically, and it's just for those interested. It's one of those magical sidebars in history, which mm. not everyone knows about, and you just can't believe actually happened. Mm. Yeah, no, it's worth a watch. Also worth a watch is the Fresh Prince of Bel Air reunion yes. on Stan. <laughs> this one took me a bit by surprise because I was never the most massive fan of the Fresh Prince series back in the day. I didn't dislike it; it just wasn't one of the ones on my regular mm-hmm. rotation. But as a TV nerd, I'm always a sucker for a reunion show because I love hearing the behind the scenes stuff. And I have to say, this was absolutely terrific. It's just one feature length special anchored by Will Smith. They've recreated the original set. The entire cast gather and reminisce fondly about the series, sharing stories about how they got their roles. There's a really interesting tale from Will Smith about how the series got commissioned in the first place. (laughs) It's worth watching for that alone. Um, There's also a lovely tribute to the late James Avery, who Mm. played Uncle Phil in the series, and also a super interesting chat between Will Smith and Janet Hubert, who played the original Aunt Viv. You might remember a bit of controversy in the middle of the show's run when the role of Aunt Viv was recast when Janet Hubert was let go from the series. There's been a war of words between her and Smith ever since. Smith on the record saying she was difficult to work with, which is why she was fired, and Hubert stating publicly that she'd never forgive or talk to Smith again. Well, she does talk to him in this special. Mm. The two sit down together and have a really raw and honest chat about what happened at the time from each other's perspectives. It's a really wonderful example of healing old wounds and coming together in forgiveness, which I think we could all do with a bit more of in this world right now. Mm. Definitely. So my daughter's a huge fan of that show, and so I hear it in the background. Do do, you know, he's stupid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I want to sing his song. It just goes like a loop in my head. But I am with you. It was really took me back. It was really, really Mm. great TV, and I found that moment between uh, Will and that actress quite incredible. And I thought a great lesson in how a young star at twenty or whatever he was, obviously the big star of the show, and and the one that called the shots, and how given so much power that he had her 
basically fired, I think. Yeah. And and in retrospect, uh, uh, now looking back, he's quite ashamed of his actions. And um, I mean, Will Smith has always been one of my favourite actors. Mm. I think he um, I think his thought processes are really quite. Uh, forward thinking in, in many ways about marriage, about a million things, about mm. child rearing. He's very ahead of the times, I think. And for him to admit how hor- horrible he had been and to show that quite was quite brave on TV. Yeah. It wasn't manufactured. No. Yeah. I felt it was authentic. Yeah, and I loved well. how respectful they were to one another. They just, you know, they were really honest. Yeah, Malk? I really loved it. I was in with it, and the whole thing, uh, and found a couple of moments where, look, I'm no, I know that I'm a 47 year old man going through menopause, so there are times when I'm <laughs> a little bit teary. You um, and I both, Mom, <laughs> do it together. Uh, but there were just legitimately some moments where I sort of came away, sort of a, deeply affected by their love for each yeah, other, or me their, too. Yeah. you know, the 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 place even that that uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air held within American society and culture. Um, I thought it was lovely. Um, and look, from the minute that the they didn't even have to start playing the theme. As soon as I saw mm. the set, the mm. theme started going off in my head. Yeah. It's that and kind how of relevant the the whole Black Lives Matter and, and the stories totally, they told yeah. thirty years ago ahead of the curve. Mm. All black cast, mm. really ahead of Incredible. the curve. Incredible. So yeah. even if you're not a messy, a massive French fresh Prince fan, even um, just being a TV fan, you'll really enjoy this one. So check yeah. that out. The Fresh Prince of Bel Air reunion streaming on Stan. Just very quickly, I'm going to throw one in because I only watched it this afternoon after I wrote all my notes. I saw Sean Mendes in Wonder, which is the feature-length doco on Netflix, which mm-hmm. follows him on tour and as he records his Wonder album. Really, really interesting. Really clever guy. Shows just how much these young people put into the music industry. So check that one out. Okay. But the show I'm focusing on for my clap or slap this week is the eight-part Netflix true crime docuseries Trial 4. Mm-hmm. It tells the story of Sean, Sean K. Ellis, who, after spending 22 years in prison following his conviction for the 1993 murder of police detective John Mulligan, faces his fourth trial, one that could find him back in prison for life. A fresh new investigation begins to shed light on the questionable events and individuals that led to his original conviction, including corrupt police officers, unreliable witnesses and systemic racism within the police force. It is an absolutely fascinating watch, really well produced and put together, especially because the series jumps between timelines. That can often be jarring, but the way they've done it here is really smooth and easy to follow. It really is wonderful, except... And I feel like I'm becoming a broken record on this podcast because I find myself saying this every other week. It goes for too long. There's not eight episodes worth of story here. It goes off onto unnecessary tangents. There's a lot of recapping of things we've just seen. The producer in me was just desperate to get in an edit suite and chop the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. I think at five episodes, maybe six, it would have absolutely rocketed along and was been superb. Was it made superb. for Netflix? Yeah. And obviously yeah, they had so an eight-episode order. And yeah. yeah. Um, But that's my only complaint. Despite the bloated length, it's still super interesting and worth a watch. So Trial 4 on Netflix gets a clap from me. Malky Malk, you're up next. What have you got for us? Well, I'll do my best, but I don't think I'll be as um, succinct as you were, Dan. Uh, I'm still deeply, deeply in love with The Mandalorian. Uh, I loved this latest episode where, again, it's just more space cowboy adventures uh, at, but the overarching plot of uh, is becoming more revealed, just even in this mm-hmm. episode, and and why in the first instance the child baby Yoda was indeed something that a bounty hunter needed to chase down. We got the understanding in this latest step. Love it, love it, love it. Nice. Cannot miss it. Um, uh, I've watched. I smashed through thanks to access from the preview angels. Every episode of The Third Day, which is coming to Binge and Foxtel in a couple of weeks. Please tell me it's good. The Jude Law, Naomi Harris um, six-part drama uh, freaked me the fuck out. Like, just insane. And I couldn't say that on ABC Radio this afternoon, let me tell you. Um, (laughs) It's dark and uh, will draw you in. And I don't think it is caught up in the too many episode thing because in those six episodes, it's really two different stories told in three episode blocks right that the central character which is uh, osea island that it is all set on is the the connecting link it's it's incredible it's very well told very well acted um and i commend it to you foxtel will run it week to week binge are dropping every episode from monday december 7th so be able to binge it from when it lands in a couple of weeks time 
Um, I finished Good Lord Bird on Stan, and I think it came home pretty strong. I was a little bit disillusioned in the middle, just felt like we were holding water. That said, in my trip away in between our podcasts, I actually listened to a three-part dollop podcast series. So they do a whole bunch of stuff where they talk about you know, um, historical moments and, and what the real story is in a very humorous way. They did a three-parter on John Brown. And it was incredible. And maybe that's what helped bring it home for me. Because I was just yep. champing at the bit to see those last episodes. So I commit it to you. That's on stand. My clap or slap. Look, there's no way around it. It gets all the claps from me. Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun on Netflix. Uh, this was commissioned, written, filmed entirely in secret. Um, they flew to America in 2019 to film it. Uh, and they've been spending sort of six or eight months editing it. And then it got to land. Uh, basically, we, we learned about it two weeks before it landed on Netflix. And here it is. And it is just six, I think it's six episodes of just the most absurd, insane, hilarious Auntie Donna humour, all bundled up in a neat little package. So many great Australian name checks and quotes and things that Americans won't understand unless they follow Auntie Donna. Brilliant. It's so good. All Even right. from the first episode where they're looking for a new housemate um, <laughs> because the dishwasher stops working. So they need a new housemate. And the insanity the that goes through that is so fun. I love it. I don't know Auntie Donna. I mean, I actually have an Auntie Donna. Mm -hmm. My kids have an Auntie Donna. Well, I don't know this Auntie Donna. I, I don't have you. an Auntie Donna or know this Auntie Donna either. Well, guys, they, they are not long. It's not like, you know, 80-minute episodes. They're 25-ish, I think. Um, okay. episodes you can smash through it in no time just watch one and then on on it's on uh, Netflix all of them are available oh. right now watch one episode the first episode and send me a message what did you think okay alright all right. What are they, so they've what done something that? previously on they Australian TV Australian stand up comedians that specialise in absurdist humour they've built a big following online because it's essentially I'll say it's sketch comedy but that even does them a disservice. And spoilers... Are these like the comedians that were on that Amazon Laugh Out Loud Oh, no, no. Show? Well, no. None no. of them were on <laughs> no, that. No. Okay. Um, okay. But, but uh, to give you an insight, Auntie Donna as a group is actually six guys. What you see is the three performers and then the other three work with them as writers, music producer, uh, you know, editors, directors. They do all okay. sorts of things themselves, which plays out... It's so great. Just watch it. All of the claps from me. Arnie Donner's big old house. Fantastic. We'll check that one out. Thank you, Malk. Joe, what have you been treating your eye holes to? Oh, well, uh, apart from The Crown, which has taken up a, <laughs> took up a fair chunk yes. of it. Um, I, I did start the week with, uh, I've done a few films, uh, Richard Jewell, mm. which was a film I hadn't seen. It got lost, I think, at the beginning of COVID maybe or, or something. It was kind of one of those films that got lost. Um, at the cinema and it is another neat piece of history that I didn't know about. It um, tells the story of the security guard who discovered a suspicious package under a park bench during the 96 oh, yeah. Summer Atlanta Olympics. Did you guys know about this mm. little Yes, only from the yes. film. I saw the film, yeah. Right. I've not seen so, the film but it okay. was a big story, scandal yeah. basically. So he helps evacuate the area until it explodes and he's hailed a hero who has saved, you know, hundreds of lives mm. and then he becomes the main, the prime suspect in the bombing. Um, it's directed by Clint Eastwood and I didn't know that till the credits came up at the end and I realised why I loved it. I tend to love his storytelling. He's a great, I, I really enjoy Clint films. Um, so it's a crowd pleaser this one and that's why I think I loved it. And Kathy Bates' performance, she was nominated yes. for an Oscar, I do remember that, yes. as his mum. That is stellar and also great supporting cast, Sam Rockwell, John He's Hamm good, and Olivia yeah. Wilde. Uh, so that's on Netflix. I did um, Australian Story last night, uh, which is worth a watch. I had watched another story about a very, very similar instance in Britain, um, and that man's story is unbelievable. I forget his name. But this is about Mick O'Dowd, who is a fit young dad, seems to strike young men, youngish men, a dad of two who started feeling unwell, literally, mm. on Christmas Day two years ago, like just a little bit unwell, not mm -hmm. even that bad. Go lie down, kids, can you just keep it down a bit kind of unwell? 24 hours later, he's battling for his life, losing limbs, and it's just wow. the most unbelievable story. Um, and it all started starts with a strep 
infection in your throat. Um, wow. Very sad, but also very uplifting. His wife is incredible. So that's an Australian story on ABC iView. Definitely worth checking out. It's only 30 minutes, as you guys know. Um, and I'm going to get straight to my uh, clap or slap. Actually, did you all a community service, all you listeners out there? Oh. This week? Yes. I don't know if any of you boys would have been um, tempted Uh-oh. to do the... Christmas movie on Netflix, which dropped November oh, 1. No. Go figure. No. Uh, oh, no called yes. Holiday. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a no from me already. <laughs> <laughs> With um, Emma Roberts, Julia's niece, and an Aussie bloke who went to school up the road from me. I can't mm. even believe it. I've never heard of him before. He went to Scots College, Luke Bracey. Yeah. Um, and he's a real Aussie, you know. He actually sounded very much yeah, like you know, of my son's friends. Yeah. Yeah, he sounds um, like Hemsworth, yeah. Basically, I watched it so you all don't have to. Mm. <laughs> That's <laughs> Thank enough you, said. Joe. Epic <laughs> fail. Do not oh. go there. And I love a tra- like I love Christmas flicks. I'll do yeah, anything. Yeah. I'll do Tim Allen as Santa Claus. I'll do you know Jim Carrey as the Grinch. I'll even do Vacation Christmas special. Whoa, 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 whoa! Don't be dissing is... the National Lampoons. All right. Malk, have you actually watched that with your children in this Oh, no, I'm not watching it with my kids. Not now. No way. I was going to say, it does not hold up. <laughs> it do- I tried and I loved it as well. No, but 15-year-old girls watching well. that are just like, are you yeah. freaking kidding me? Okay. So, yes. Anyway, do not go so, there. Holiday. Clap or slap, Joe? Holiday dull. Oh, definitely. Boom, boom. <laughs> All right. Tell us what you really think. That's been on my list, so <laughs> I, will, um, I will avoid it. Thank you for the yes, heads up, Joe. Brookie, what's been on your watch list? Well, I sound like a broken record, but once again, I'm bringing up Roadkill. This is the BBC drama Sunday nights on the ABC. Hugh Laurie, the other Hugh, stars as a UK Conservative Party cabinet minister. He's a bit of a man of the people, rebel. It starts off with him winning a libel action, but gradually you unpeel successive scandals that he's involved in involving his family and mistresses etc and i praised it at the start because i thought it was utterly realistic Mm. but i've stopped watching it to me it's a spiraled out of control there's a subplot quite a big one in a women's prison there's family dramas where his daughters uh return and hold a family summit and i've just like i've lost interest so i'm you're uh, out. Slapping that one. I'm Ooh, out. Wow. Okay. Joe, throughout the year, has run hot and cold <laughs> on 60 Minutes. And oh, yes. uh, like her, I was swept in by one of the promos for this current affairs show on Nine, where indeed I do work. Uh, and it was for the scandal at Doha Airport. The oh, female passengers yeah. who mm-hmm. were hauled off the flights in Qatar subject to horribly invasive searches and uh, bid by local authorities to find the identity of the mother of a baby who had been abandoned. I thought it was a very strong interview by Sarah Abu mm. of an obviously distraught woman, but very tastefully done. Uh, and then I thought what makes this program great and has since it first aired in the late 70s was that the follow-up segment was about the lives of Qatari women, what it's like to live in that Middle Eastern country. And I thought it was a classic example of 60 Minutes, even with COVID. They interviewed a rebel who had moved from Qatar to London. Uh, The program once again, bringing the world back home into our lounge rooms. Mm, I watched that too, Brookie. Fabulous episode, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But the program I want to focus on is on the new streaming service that has already been described as being made for me. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you might have... BritBox. Unbelievable. uh, Which launched this week, coincidentally, on Doctor Who's 52nd birthday. What clever timing. Mm. Um, Did you eat your cookie? Did Did you get the big face? No, I didn't get the big face, but oh. I did. Uh, but I did get invited to uh, uh, a preview account of BritBox, so I have oh, been nice. madly sucking that up. Um, anyway, the first program I watched was not Doctor Who. You'll be interested to know, Joe, but it was a revamp of the classic British satirical program, Spitting Image. Yes, hard to describe if you have never seen it before, but it is basically a uh, puppet show that has caricatures of the great and the good 
Uh, these episodes feature Meghan and Harry, Boris Johnson, of course, Donald Trump and the coronavirus, Elon Musk. Mm. The first episode has a particularly great song and dance sequence featuring Jacinda Ardern as Mary Poppins. Gosh. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> this is adults only, but it is purely equal opportunity comedy. Whatever your politics or outlook, you will find some savage commentary directed at prominent people from the conservatives and progressives i haven't caught a future episode which has uh johans leek the cartoonist of the australian who's designed scott morrison our prime minister so that's one to look forward to uh this is also very relevant because spitting image originally ran hot in the 1980s Mm. in britain and one of its biggest triumphs relevant to our group binge involved Margaret Thatcher. Mm. (laughs) So one sequence had Margaret Thatcher taking her cabinet out to dinner in a fancy London restaurant, and she's asked, uh, you know, Prime Minister, what would you like to eat this evening? And she said, I'll I'll have the beef. And then the waiter says, and the vegetables? And she looks around at the cabinet and she goes, they'll have the beef (laughs) as well. (laughs) So that's a clap from me. Very good. All right. Thank you, Brookie. That's what we've been watching this past couple of weeks, Bingies. How about you? Let us know. We would love to hear from you. We're at TV underscore Bingebox on Twitter or TV Bingebox podcast gang on Facebook. While we're talking about Facebook, what were the highlights from our binges this week? It seems, Dan, that us taking a week off just allowed them to basically take over and bring in a whole bunch of great conversations. Um, Excellent. I will note that someone is responsible for some Doctor Who talk, thanks to an anniversary (laughs) that they may have just mentioned. Uh, Not unreasonably, let's be fair. We love our shows, and and particularly one that has a, a legacy such as that, Brookie. Got a, got a lot of engagement that post. It did. I did know that. Well done, uh, Evan. Do you know when I when I looked up that Brit box um, and what shows were on, it was just like every single clap or slap you've ever. It was just Brookie's. Yeah. <laughs> it should be called Brookie's box. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm I'm, I, I'm I'm changing my name to Stephen Britbox. Yes. I love oh, it. Good. It's so good. It's just all you. Well, that ties neatly into Evan Woolham, who is very excited about the launch of Britbox, and it seems that so is Stephen Brooks, so perhaps mm-hmm. they can get together and compare notes. Um, Clint Tyson and Darlene Buckley both showed great restraint in discussing The Crown uh, season four without getting spoilery, and there's some good threads in there if you wanted to engage in that particularly after this, friends, because, boy, are we going to let mm. loose. Um, Michelle Lucas discovered a trove of Stacey Dooley docos on Stan and was quite They're pleased so about good, it. so good, those docos. She does yeah. a great job. And just spoilers, Stacey Dooley also hosts a reality show on Netflix um, about d- doing makeup. Oh. It's, yeah, like she's a competitive reality versatile. show. Uh, oh, no, she's not great. Um, but oh. it, it's honestly, it's the talent and the judges that save that. She's just there to direct traffic. Uh, but she kills it in the, the documentary situation. And Adrian Messenger kicked off what became a very interesting conversation about Pete Evans after he was evicted mm-hmm. from the cast of I'm a Celebrity the morning it was to begin filming. It was mm. controversial, no question, and I think a lot of people were able to air their views. Let us never speak his name again. Yes. That's, Good. that's Let's make the that pact. chef, not Adrian's. Adrian's a great bloke. Yes. No, yes, indeed. All right, thank you very much, Mulk. All right. It's time to don our crowns and tiaras. I'm super excited. Let's do... Group Binge. Joe, take away. I'm actually scratching my head. I feel like there's so much to talk about and so little time. I don't even know where to begin. So I'm just going to... I've tried to break it down. Um, And and first up, I have loved this series from Mm. the get-go. Just quickly, round of... Of what have you? I know, Dan. Did you manage to catch up just on this series, Brookie? Yes, where are you I at? I watched a bit of the first series, but I watched all of the series four. Oh, you did! You watched all of series four, Dan. You did all of it. All of series four. Yep. And Mark? All of series four in two sittings. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> if you guys haven't watched the first three, it's the most yeah. controversial season of this Netflix drama yet. Yep. The long-anticipated fourth season, which was filming right up till COVID, um, and this one sees the historical drama covering Thatcher's prime ministership, the meeting and setting up of, of Diane Charles, the royal wedding, 
the birth of William and Harry, the Falklands War, the visit to Australia, the affairs, the infidelity. We see Di's bulimia up close and personal. You know, we really see that over a toilet bowl. The scandals and the demise of the Prince and Princess's Wales marriage, well, as it's the start of the demise. It really takes us into a world we are familiar with, but also in a really far more intimate mm. fashion. And it's a bizarre experience because unlike the previous seasons, this sees the period drama catch up with modern times and, and times we remember. So, mm. of course, I love everything about this series, the scale, the history, the insight, you know, the intricate details so lavishly sort of presented and told. The political history has been astonishing, up-to-date, I think. I know there is a lot of conjecture over how true a lot of it is and they've never professed to be a documentary. Mm. But just for someone as an outside observer who heard things about all these different wars and, you know, the Suez Canal and blah, 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 it's a great way to sort of speed yourself up on, on yeah. a whole heap of British history. Yes. Um, but this season has everyone talking, and not necessarily for all the right reasons. I think as much as the royal family would like us to be able to avoid it altogether. We really can't. This season brought us die. Played by the fabulous Emma Corrin, who I can add, I think is perfectly cast Ooh. as the willowy, shy, oh, Mo, no, no, I can no. see already. Play on. Shy, blue-eyed, bulimic, you know, fringed under her eye, the sort of toffee voice, the uh, Sloan Ranger, and that mm. is what a lot of people are talking about. So I think we should start with just simply the casting here. Brookie, there's so much to delve into, but while I loved every nuance of Di, um, and I also adore the sappy sort of Charles, I think Josh O'Connor, I mean, could you ha have an actor that's as perfectly cast as Charles? Um, I'm not a huge fan of Olivia Colman as the Queen. I much prefer Claire Foy in the younger version. Mm -hmm. To me, she's way too frumpy and she's the weak link for me. Um, I adore Helena Bonham Carter, mm -hmm. um, really anything she does. Brookie, for me, they're all excellent, but Gillian Anderson is the one I think that steals the show. It's been described, her performance particularly, as not just an impersonation, an inhabitation. Wow. Mind you, some of our bingies weren't such fans and thought she overacted. Does no. she steal the show for you? She did for me, steal she the show. It. Joe, you're right there, wrong. I just watched that and I thought, give that woman an Emmy. I think that it's interesting because there's such a focus on Margaret Thatcher mm. uh, for this series, both the political and the personal. Mm. And I found Gillian Anderson utterly believable in the role. I found Emma Corrin utterly believable mm. in the role and kind of, I think, possibly the hardest job of all went to Josh O'Connor yep. to be mm. Prince Charles yes, yes, because... Yes. We wax and wane, these people are presented in their complexities and we feel anger and revulsion towards them in some parts or some episodes or some parts of episodes, uh, but then we actually feel sympathetic towards them and compelled to keep watching. So I thought that the great strength, it's not just down to the acting because the script and the direction and the whole production yeah. also ties into that, but it was just one of complete believability and I think this is probably forcing people to look beyond their own prejudiced stereotypical uh, reactions mm -hmm. to the members of the royal family because uh, and realizing their complexities because we should never forget that Margaret Thatcher there's actually a great BBC drama called The Road to Finchley was looked down upon by her peers mm. for being lower class and a grocer's daughter mm. and uh, this other series, The Road to Finchley, covers her early life where she had six attempts and failures to get into Parliament, which is where her famous determination came from. So I thought this was exceptional television. It's shown beautifully in that series. But Dan, had you seen Meryl Streep's performance of Thatcher and how did you think that weighed up? Uh, I haven't seen Meryl Streep's okay. performance as Thatcher. I can already tell I'm going to lose a lot of friends in this discussion. <laughs> I thought Gillian Anderson was far and away the weakest link in this. Wow. wow. I found her very cartoonish. Mm -hmm. 
I felt like I was watching a parody of Fast Forward or SNL or something. A rubbery figure, if you will. She know. was way too over the top for me. Um, but, damn, yeah, that is what Margaret Thatcher was like. But if you I, watch her on TV, she was like that. Yeah, but I just found the performance. It didn't feel authentic to me at all. It felt like she, I could see her. It's like, and I'm acting. Um, I didn't... <laughs> jazz I, <laughs> jazz, I didn't get... I didn't get her at all, and I usually love her. I, like you guys, I've thought Josh O'Connor was by far and away the standout here. He um, had a lot of difficult material to deliver, mainly because it's quite one note mm. in a lot of his stuff, but he manages to make it interesting. Poor me, poor me, um, yeah. So for me, he was the standout, yeah. But, but actually, in that final episode, when he you know did something that we have basically seen every preceding episode and had a fight with Diana, mm. it was still, I thought, really fresh. Yes. And amazing. And I kind of agree with you, Joe, a bit up to a point about uh, Olivia Coleman Olivia. and the Queen, mm. but possibly because she wasn't really given that much no. to do. Bingo. She had a script. Her thing was the script. She was basically just her function was to deliver. She was the narrator. Um, the subtext. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm. and try to link these disparate well. stories together. about taking a brisk walk to sort yeah. her kid's life out. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. She had really dodgy material. Her boobs are too big for that role. Oh, my God. Sorry, the Queen is a very slight woman and, and Olivia, and it, it does go to, you know, you're playing, and I think as you pointed out correctly, Brookie, these season probably had the hardest yet because we are familiar with these yeah, characters. Yeah. We know, you know, we know them. We've seen them on the cover of magazines. We've heard them. Talk. Well, anyone our Whereas age. the previous yes. ones, uh, you know, you, you, where no one really remembers how Winston Churchill walked or what have you. But jo, so I think they had a very difficult task. But I feel with Olivia, she was too grandmotherly and frumpy. Whereas the Queen is quite a slight. I don't yeah. know. I just didn't didn't work for See, me. See, here's the challenge, though, right? Emma mm. Corrin is, I think, somebody did the comparison, at least a foot short from what Lady Diana was. Like, Lady Diana was tall. Uh, sorry, Princess Diana. However you want to... Diana Spencer. Mm. They still did make her look uh, Look, tall, I think they? they did okay, Leaf. but she was yep. still... Yep. Like, part of the problem for Charles, uh, you know, as has been revealed in interviews, was that he felt inferior to her because she was taller than this him. Goddess yeah, yeah, and everything. And all yes. of the things. I'm going to throw some more uh, grist into this mill, friends. Mm, I thought please. that um, Gillian Anderson was phenomenal as Thatcher, just mm. as I thought Olivia Coleman was excellent in her very pared-down role, because while I appreciate that The Crown is ostensibly Her Majesty's story, um, this is absolutely the Charles and Diana show. Season four is all about them. So she has to function as the narrator. She has to do that. And while I thought Emma Corrin did a fine job, um, I expect, and, and this is absolutely me projecting, Elizabeth Debicki, who has been cast as Diana mm. for the next two seasons, next will yeah. absolutely punish this. She will be incredible. Um, wow, I, I, I think really, that's a big call. Oh, I think this was a pretty... I think Debicki's a great actress and will step into it, no question. Um, I agree that the gentleman that played Prince Charles was really good. However, I also want to give a really clear shout-out to, I cannot remember his name, but the gentleman that played um, uh, Her Majesty's uh, ostensibly assistant press secretary guy. Her, oh, the press secretary, the, the author. He, he was amazing. Michael Shea. I just thought the yeah, way that in the yeah. midst of all of, and we saw the royal family at, in some pretty big kind of moments... He was that consistent, keeping everything the way it should be, doing the, this is how we function, this is what we do, we, we slip in and out in the background and this is the thing. Do you mean the press, the secretary, press secretary? No, I think he means... Or you mean the private butler, personal private secretary? Yeah, the, the private yeah. gentleman, the butler okay. guy. Yeah. I thought he was really, yeah. really great. Um, I also, big hat tip to the actress who played Princess Anne. Um, oh, fantastic. Because just... And, how can you it, not well, love? It was interesting. Erin uh, Doherty is that Thank actress's you. name because she looked different. Mm. Uh, not that I care about people who are a foot taller or shorter sure. or something in the scheme of things, but she was noticeably undisguised and different. Uh, she had a very different look to the real Princess Anne, but that didn't matter to me yeah. whatsoever. To and, and that's it. I, I think she... we got away with it, right? I think that was how we yeah, did Yeah, oh, totally. Um, Her performance rose above that. Agree. And, and just in the same way, I will watch Helena Bonham Carter in anything, anything. 
Um, she, I, I've got the same uh, Tim Burton kind of fascination with her as he does. Yeah. Um, well, maybe not exactly the same, but you know, I'm, it, she's my muse, no question. Phenomenal. I thought she was brilliant. It's um, interesting you say that because I've never been the greatest fan of her. Oh, you. But during the sequence where she is by the pool having a party yes. in Mystique, which is her sort of island, mm. sort of dancing away and singing was probably for me the most moving sequence mm. of that whole series. Well, you boys Be- have to watch season three because she and her story, the much younger version mm. of herself and her sad, have sad heard this, story... Yes is amazing and that is the focus one of the main focuses of season three so i implore you to go back and watch that uh, before we quickly move on just last on the on the characters richard roxburgh Aussie, <laughs> yes oh, bob fantastic as bob yeah, hawk how good was that that was just he i love richard could I think any other then. aussie actor oh. do bob hawk justice of that era no well, Richard Rocks was played Hawk before. He has, correct. Isn't there a yes. telly movie yes. that Ten had years Paul ago? Hawk. Yep. Yes, that's right. That's yeah. right. Um, yeah, and so different to Roger Rogerson, yes. Shame they didn't okay, film in so, Brisbane. <clears throat> anyway, Spain um, had to do. Oh, it didn't matter. No, so except for just cares. that one vista where it was like, there's not that many buildings in Brisbane. But anyway. Uh, well, so far Thank there has did. been little denial the Crown is not historically, you know, perfect. But it has always maintained it's steeped in, in fact. And for those who remember right back to the time of headlines and scandals uh, like us, we will remember most of these stories. And for a younger generation, it's possibly an amazing wake-up call because they've really seen the royal family through the eyes. Yes, we've had the conflict with mm. Harry and blah, blah, uh, and Meghan and, and all of that. But they've kind of seen Charles as, and Camilla as a kind of stable, peaceful sort of story, haven't they, for the last 30 years? Um, Friends of Prince Charles have labelled the show and its unflattering depiction of the future king as trolling with a Hollywood budget. Mm. Um, I can't imagine it's easy for either prince, uh, either of Di's boys, to see their parents' marriage mm-hmm. portrayed this way. Prince William's reportedly upset that his father and late mother are being explored, exploited and, and, and used to make money. A lot are angered, Malk, and there's always been a temptation to take sides, and I felt Charles... He's actually... Again, I mentioned season three, but portrayed very sympathetically in season three. Mm. You feel sorry for him. Uh, and in this season, he's a lot harsher, obviously. Um, and a lot of what we see in this series um, and what has given it its its great um, rating and status is the detail, mind you, as someone pointed out. And you pointed out, Brooke, they got the flying fishing wrong. Uh, oh, yes. But they, they, some of the details are not quite right. Um since this aired, there's been a lot of hatred towards Camilla. Um, and even on their Instagram, the Clarence Only since Clarence this aired? No, literally timed. Like, truly, it's like it had sort of hushed and, and there was a bit of peace out. Now there's that big remembrance for the fondness of the people's princess mm-hmm. and, you know, people posting posters in a world full of Camillas, be a Diana. That's a big yep. hashtag on Instagram. It's the worst timing. The Queen's 95 and Charles is probably about to finally ascend to the damn throne. Has the Crown done the monarchy a disservice, Malk? Look, first of all, we need to reflect that that Peter Morgan, the guys who are in charge of this show, has said that it is not a documentary, right? It is Mm -hmm. a historical drama that, that at least from this season, if not parts of seasons before... We, they have much more source material to deal with, though stuff that they are portraying to us absolutely is only known by maybe one or two people. Maybe. Um, and none of them have spoken about it publicly. And none of them have written it down anywhere. So they are absolutely projecting into some of these things based on hearsay, based on what they suppose took place, blah, blah, blah. There are absolutely some things that they have a lot of information from that they are leaning into and developing and showing it and, and those sorts of things. Uh, and, and I think it is a challenge when you have such a high-profile family as the House of Windsor, when you have, particularly through the 90s and early 2000s, when so much of it played out publicly in the tabloids and became fodder, where before, like if we reflect season three, The Crown, all of the stuff that basically happened then, the tabloids were sniffing around, but it was still the monarchy. We are still respecting and keeping distance and all the rest mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. 
it's from this season on that it just goes to shit. It falls apart. No respect. Long lenses. All of the things we're going to get. All of. But the a stuff. lot of it's true. A, a lot of people think some. A lot of the stuff that's written. You know, the dance on the stage. Uh, oh. The the restaurant that Camilla took die to called Menage a Trois. There's stuff that was public uh, that we know, right? That they stuff actually happened. were things. What that an incredible happened. name for written. a restaurant for Camilla, the oh, mistress of the Prince of Wales, to take his and that bride line to when. When she says, I like to share the bill or mm. something. Yeah. Oh, I mean, mate. I, look, the royal family is fair game. Yep. Their stories about them, fiction about them, has been told and retold for centuries. I mean, William Shakespeare had a red hot yep. go, often. So if we're going to have dramas about Henry VIII or Elizabeth I, I'm more than happy for this series. Uh to me, in a way, I thought the series was so skillful mm. and of such high quality. I can appreciate, and in fact, that one of my colleagues, Bevan Shield, the Herald, mm. did a fact check yes. on some of the key sequences, pointing mm-hmm. out, yes, they did go to the restaurant, mm. but other bits that weren't true. I think that he is trying to be true to the story, and you can not with any drama, Dan, I'd be interested in your yes. input, you cannot be truthful in any drama. Because it's a drama and truth just gets in the way or it's the wrong structure or there's too many people involved. It it Um, would be problematic if they either didn't include Princess Diana's, um, you know, uh, mental health issues, bulimia, and and Mm -hmm. if they kept that out of it. Or if they introduced, you know, complete supposition that someone else forced it or it, you know, came out of... Like, all of that sort of stuff. Morgan has come out and said... When Charles first met Diana, she wasn't dressed in a as a tree. You know, it was in a field at the Spencer Estate, but it just fitted into the kind of situation that we were. I have to with. say though, for someone who read every morsel of gossip ever about hmm. Di, back in the day, even um, I did not know that Charles and Camilla had been so. It had been, you know, I knew that she'd always said there were three in the marriage, but. I feel like this really highlighted how in love they were from the oh, outset that Fred and, and how that marriage was. Yeah, that was really hard. And then she went off and married that mm. other bloke. She married Andrew Parker Bowles. The Brits can be pretty stupid oh, yeah. sometimes. Sorry, we cut you off there. We did. I just want to say the one thing about truth or as not, the only things that got to me were the omissions yes. in some of the stories. Uh, the first one involving Margaret Thatcher where she was bombed. Mm by the RRA during a Conservative right, Party starts, conference yeah. in mm-hmm. Brighton, which I was, I realised why they left it out, because it was such a huge event. Yeah. You would have had to have had an entire would have episode about an episode, it. Yes. Or ignore it completely. But also they really glossed over the reasons for her demise, which I think, you know, they presented it as this immoral revenge by her colleagues Mm. but there were real solid reasons why they started to rebel and she wanted to introduce a really heartless poll tax on the entire population that there were massive riots over and civil unrest and I think that her removal uh, was a a lot more justified than Peter Morgan made up in that series. Isn't it amazing she lasted 11 years? I mean, they don't last that long when they're not... Well, you know, that was the start of that sort of thing. I think the the misstep for me Mm. in this fact versus fiction thing was that at the end of a couple of episodes, we were given cards that gave us an update on the real-life people that had been portrayed Mm. in those episodes, Mm -hmm. which is a documentary convention... And I think they were trying to have a bit of a bet each way. I think (laughs) if you're going to include those kind of cards, you're saying to the audience, what we've just presented you is is based in fact and this is what happened afterwards. I think they just had to have taken those cards out, absolutely sweet. Because you're right, Brookie, nothing in drama can ever be 100% because, you know, real life tends to be more... And libel laws, to Um, be fair. So, yeah. So... So for me, that was the misstep in, in, that, in that area. Right. Well, this season did give us some of the juiciest storylines yet and the scandals. One thing I think The Crown does well is it follows a storyline like a huge one, you know, the Falklands War or, or what have you, with, you know, huge consequences. What's that? Oh, I just, uh, sorry, I just realised before we dive in, we headed because I'll let that happen. I thought it was a baller move to not show the wedding. I love that. Oh. Like, so good. Here's the rehearsal. That. Here's her in the dress. Now they're on the honeymoon. See yous. Because, again, 
It would have been an entire yeah, episode. monster, right? Yeah. And it, there's yeah. footage from 17 million cameras. Sorry. And those weddings are always boring. I mean, Megan's, ugh. <laughs> anyway, apart from when you've got the uh, preacher. Jesus. Look, uh, what The Crown does do well is follow, as I said, these massive storylines, but also can focus on a whole episode on something so minute or, or the minutiae of, for example, uh, the guy that breaks in. Uh, to the palace mm. and his whole backstory, you know, with his ex-wife and the pub brawls and, you know, they can go into this tiny, this, they, they do the epic and the specific really well. And to me, that's been a strength. This season, the action seems to happen around the Queen, like you were saying, Monk, rather than being driven by her. And you mentioned the final scene, Brookie, uh, but that close-up on Die seemed to cement to me you know that where that the storyline the plotline the script is focusing it has been criticized for leaving things hanging for not flowing our binges some of them were very mm. critical a lot of people have said it's been badly written it's over the top contrived dan what? you are our resident script writer and you came to this fresh as a virgin i'm really interested to know where does it sit in your pecking order pecking order um, well, first, I've just got to say quickly on the production values, because mm-hmm. that was the first thing that jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. It is basically faultless, right? From yeah. costume to makeup, set design to sound design. My producing mentor always said to me that the golden rule of producing was put the money on the screen. And they have certainly <laughs> done that here. It's pretty extraordinary, yeah. with the exception of some of the aforementioned scenes in episode six, which were meant to be set in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And we're actually shot in Malaga, Spain, yeah. which you can gotta tell. You but do. apart yeah. from that, wonderful. In terms of the script, I love you all. Hmm. Um, Being a crown virgin and hearing all the hype over the years, I was expecting something that was narratively quite extraordinary. Um, I found it not to be extraordinary. Um, From soapy, obvious dialogue in parts Mm -hmm. to some really odd structural and plotting choices. So, Malk, you said earlier that this is the series, the Charles and Diana Mm. season, and it absolutely should be for Mm. me. But we go from, like, Charles and Diana have a really heavy episode three, Mm. um, which is sort of the lead up to the wedding, and we end up with her in the dress, to them all but disappearing Mm. in the next episode. And then we're all of a sudden off with Margaret Thatcher's home life, which, to be honest, uh, my response was, who cares? Well, I'm a mother of twins, so I found that very interesting. And then the Queen having to, we all know Andrew, and then I thought there was a lot of subtext there with his Mm. latest. Horrors. But then towards the back end of the series, we got a whole episode on Princess Margaret out of the blue, which had nothing to do with the rest of the series mm. at all, and totally mm. smacked of, we've got Helena Bonham, Bonham Carter, we have to give her a showcase piece. Then we've got an episode of, the, Joe, you mentioned the guy who breaks into the palace and talks to the Queen, and then the, the bloke who writes the book. And again, I'm just kind of going, it had nothing to do with the central story. There was nothing thematically that linked these strands mm. together apart from poor Olivia Coleman having to deliver this really dodgy dialogue to try to string these tenuous story threads together. If it was going to be the Charles and Diana season, I wanted it to be the Charles and Diana right. season. so you think they tried we to do too much maybe? But tried to do too but, much yeah. and go in depth. I wanted to, I would have preferred to have seen their entire story from woe to go rather than cutting away to all these other things their emotional arc was basically non-existent. From episode three, they, Diana knew that she was getting into a marriage where Charles was in love with Camilla. Mm. They were both desperately unhappy. That's episode three. Episode 10, they're well, both they desperately unhappy. Hang on, they have sex yeah. in the hotel with in the, It was like a 10-minute <laughs> sort of brief highlight in, in episode six where they show some happiness. But otherwise, it's the same beat over and over again, which is... But that Diana was their marriage. That was but we their... don't need to see it for 10 episodes, but 10 one-hour episodes. It went for 10 years because she yeah. was trapped because it was the But as a television family. drama, Ooh. that is not, to me... I wanted to see I wanted to see their story. I wanted to see it from woe to go, if that's what we're going to tell. And I'm scared mm. now for seasons five but, and six because I was just reading that originally they were just going to do season yep. five. The writer has now come out and said he's doing five and six. The same story, but just spread over two seasons, and it's got my alarm bells ringing oh. that they're going to do the same thing they did here. Do we get the Fergie toast? Every, oh, well, that, that, that is, well, we saw Fergie, didn't we? Yes. We saw her super briefly. Yeah. I think, Dan, with respect, you're wrong. I just feel that um, 
I found the Princess Margaret episode fascinating and so moving and it's all really about everyone trying to adjust and I think that Prince Philip Tobias Menzies says mm-hmm. it in one part we are all outsiders yes. because the only person who's the insider is the Queen and every single member of they this really family try and make cannot the alliance get what they want because when they're all but again that dialogue was just deeply so unhappy I loved the, the whole hunting episode, episode with Did the family. Like oh, my God. Um, I thought that the parallels between Thatcher's family and how she treated her children and how mm. the Queen treated her children were really interesting. And the whole concept of their families having the unspoken favourite and not realising yes. it. Which I entirely disagree with. As in, a, as, the night, as a notion yeah. or how it, how it was depicted? Yeah. No, 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 as a notion. Oh, mate. But just for the record. I, I've got two kids. I can tell but you which course. one's my favourite. No question. <gasps> Mom. Right. See, my three all think they're my favourite. As they should. So. <laughs> as they should. Varies. That's the way you should play it. That is very... I remember having a conversation with my brother about favourites and he turned to me and said, well, you're the favourite. And I said, no, I'm not. You're the favourite because you always get away with far more than I do, etc. I thought that was very true to life and a, and a good topic. Anyway... I think we've got to wrap this up. We do. Look, as expected, uh, the cast changes every two seasons, as we've mentioned. Coleman, who took over from Claire Foy, who did make a cameo in the apartheid scene, The Young Queen, mm-hmm. will be replaced by Imelda Staunton. Jonathan Price will play Prince Philip and Leslie Manville, Princess Margaret. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki, as we mentioned, will play Diana in five and six. Um, and it ind- indicates, I think, the show will probably end with the death of Diana, uh, thus coming Ooh. full circle um, as the show was developed by Peter Morgan from the Queen about Elizabeth's reaction or non-reaction to Diana's death. Look, I found this season, whether it was the finest or not, is open to conjecture, but I found it as fascinating um, as I always have, for sure. For me, it was still biting. It was authentic. Um, The idea that the Crown are their own worst enemy. Um, Mm. I've always been, despite having a huge love for the royal family and British history and knowing every princess and prince that ever existed, I'm actually a very staunch Republican. And now more than ever, I just felt like Bob Hawke's line was, you know, Mm. cutting the umbilical cord or whatever he said. Like, I just feel like it's more relevant than ever. And did Diana actually ruin that whole movement? You know, her popularity at the time. Um, And just how antiquated they are. And there's one line the Queen Mother says, actually, which rang for me the most true in the whole thing. I think she says it to Helen Bonham Carter, where she says, when we didn't even discuss that, when they dig up the poor cousins that are locked away because they're not quite... um, you know, not quite perfect. Um, the idea that the royal family, their their tenure is so on a, you know, a, a, knife a rope, edge. a knife edge, yeah. the, the, the basis of the their relevance. And if, if anyone's not perfect, you know, it could fall off the perch. And for me, that just shows it all how antiquated this firm mm. is and cold mm. and harsh. But for me, as a show, it's still a, tri- a triumph. Very addictive television and a delicious soap opera. So big thumbs up from me. I'm going to start with myself and give it a four and a half out of five. Um, and then throw to you, Brookie. Converted? Oh, yes. I thought it was brilliant. I've rarely seen better. I think of Chernobyl and mm. this. So it's five stars from me. Wow. wow. And you'll Good go ball. back now, I hope. Yep. Well, I got a lot of Doctor Who to watch on Big Box. <laughs> anyway. At least you save time when you don't have to eject discs. You can now stream in a row. But okay, I will just say this briefly. Optional DVD extras, Joe. There's a world out there. There's a rich okay. bounty you don't get on okay. streaming. Sure, I'm on, sure Big Box has a section for that. Okay, Mulk, where did you end up? Uh, look, I, I thought it was one of the easiest shows to just keep letting the next episode play on that I've seen in some time. It was enveloping and I think that connection that I was a young person, you know, watching the whole Charles and I come to Brisbane thing, you know, as a kid on my television, Mm. that all of that was just sort of, is what rolls it together for me and that's why I'm hotly anticipating the final two series. Um, I do not use this word in my life ever however the line of this season was, hmm, that was impressively cunty. 
Uh, <laughs> and, and I didn't perfect. love that bit too. It was perfectly too. delivered and perfectly yeah, in the context. Um, uh, this absolutely gets five crowns out of five for me. If you have not seen it, what the hell is wrong with you? Nice. Well, Dan. But it's certainly got the world note. talking. It's been number one on Netflix. Ages. For, come on, since, Debbie since Downer. Look, come on. on balance, despite how strong I thought it was from a production point of view and mostly from a performance point of view, given the major issues I had mm. with the story and the script, I can only give it three and a half stars out of five. Oh, my God, Speaking that's truth, what Dan. Brookie gave Houzos. <laughs> yeah, but that was... <laughs> that. That, was that, that wasn't real life. That wasn't real life. All right, thank you, Joe. Wonderful chat. That was a really great chat. Thank you for that. Brookie, for the first time, we're revisiting a series for next week's Group Binge. Oh, we are indeed. Ooh. And you might remember Bingies. Hmm. A couple of weeks ago, indeed, it was podcast episode 31. We talked quite a lot and very animatedly about the Foxtel binge drama, The Undoing. Oh, oh, is that it's the last episode out? Yes. Thank oh, you, wait, yeah. like, Joe. Yeah. Just let oh, me sorry, tell sorry, everyone. Sorry, 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 sorry. I got excited for a sec. Casamento interrupted. Oh, I prematurely. <laughs> so we, for the first time, are going to revisit yeah, a exactly. group binge and we've chosen the murder mystery the undoing nicole kimman plays a counselor and hugh grant her husband and their lives are thrown into turmoil when a mysterious but sexy mother at the local high school is found violently murdered so we had a very animated discussion back in broad when we back in podcast episode 31 when we had all watched well after the first episode had been released and we'd all watched various stages but guess what None of us could watch the final, the sixth no. episode in the mm. season because for some reason, HBO, which created this, had not released it. However, mm-hmm. we have now caught up. The sixth episode will have been broadcast by the time we gather again next week. Uh, and I think that during our discussion, we felt we couldn't be completely honest in assessing the series mm. because it all hinged mm. on what we found out in the mm-hmm. final episode. Next week, we will know. It's going to be a no-holds-barred discussion. Spoiler field. Spoiler alert. Yes. There will be spoilers. So <laughs> for the first time, we are going to assume that you have watched this series uh, in its entirety and if you haven't apologies but you can just save us up until you have that's next week yeah. thank you brookie can't wait to see how that series wraps up looking forward to it gang it is nearly time for us to go but first let's take a quick dip into rewind now brookie uh i was going to ask you what you've been dusting off from the archives but i believe the answer may be nothing what have you got for us well i did have a brilliant idea which is inspired by our previous episode i thought i'd go back and watch episode one, season one of The West Wing. Wow. When we did the special Uh group binge last week on the stage adaptation. But then I had to put that on hold because Adrian Messenger from our Facebook group got in touch and requested that I do a classic rewind of the famous Aussie soap Sons and Daughters because he posted Aww. on our Facebook page that he'd done uh, he bought the box set and I said look great but hey I'm watching The Crown I, I don't have time to watch <laughs> all 972 <laughs> episodes Gosh. turns out that Adrian already had watched all 972 episodes so I said well you can do the review then wow. and he sent me a note saying well uh, what I think you should do Stephen is read out my review and then you can sing the theme song. Sing. Glorious. Excellent. Off you anyway, go, Anyway, here is Adrian Messenger's review. Sons and Daughters began with the twins named John and Angela, who were separated at birth. They meet by chance when they are 18 and fall in love. However, they later find out they are related. A very young Peter Phelps played John, and a very young Ali Fowler wow. played Angela. When Sons and Daughters arrived on 7-2 in 2009, I'd heard about the show, but I'd never seen it because I was born when it was first broadcast in 1982, and I was only four when it finished in 1987. Uh, When the original characters, Angela and John, left the show, it became a bit more over the top, such as famously when Pat the Rat, Rowena Wallace, Mm -hmm. leaves the country and returns with the help of plastic yes. surgery played by Belinda Giblin, 
going by the name Alison, which was just the most enormous thing to happen in the 1980s almost ever in yeah. Australian television. With the final moments of the very final episode, an exact copy of what happens in the first few minutes of the first mm. episode occurs. A pregnant woman arrives, gives birth to twins, helped by the kindly Fiona Pat MacDonald. So there were many actors and actresses who were in this program who then went on to big roles in other Australian dramas. There was Susan Kennedy, there was Ian Rawlins, mm. there was Judy Nunn, and of course the great Cornelia mm. Francis, Dan. Yes. Adrian says he loved the premise of the show, twins separated at birth and later meeting, but he also enjoyed the rich family versus ordinary family dynamic, a reoccurring plot over the first four seasons, and of course the switching between the rich Sydney family and the working class Melbourne family. What I didn't like, says Adrian, was the fifth and sixth season. The show had lost its great characters from the beginning, replaced by ordinary characters and very ordinary storylines. I call this period the yawn period. (laughs) (laughs) This show was like an earlier, better version of Between Two Worlds, and coincidentally, Bevan Lee wrote episodes for both Sons and Daughters and created Between Two Worlds... And that is Adrian's review. Well done, wow. Adrian. That's a great review. That's awesome. So well, I remember you, the very Adrian. first episode. I remember well, I actually went and watched it. Mm. I went back and watched it because you can find yes. it on YouTube. Uh, and it was full on, but you realise the skill I thought they had in crafting these characters who you just wanted to follow. Yep. Yeah. Sons and Daughters was the show that made me fall in love with soap operas. Wow. It was the first one that I got to sort of sit in, and I think, you know, mum was watching it on a whatever night it was on, and I would sort of sit in and watch it with her, and it made me fall in love with soap operas. So, yeah. That's good. So, well, you can do the theme song then, Dan. No, no, no. I'm I'm just going to get out my giant box of books. Oh, my God. Okay. That's amazing. (laughs) Are you singing live, Rookie? I'm singing live. I haven't pre-recorded. All right. Off you go. I'm very excited. Love is very strange, it can come and go. It can happen when you are young or old. When it comes, it comes from nowhere. When it comes, it changes your life. Sons and daughters, love and laughter, tears and sadness and happiness. Happiness. One day you'll find that our sons and daughters are what we two were once about. Well done, Rookie. Oh, my goodness. That's I felt like I was back in the That's good. amazing. If we don't win the podcast award <laughs> next year, I tell oh, you what. Really that's just... All talent. <laughs> singing, piano playing. You are an absolute legend, Stephen Brook. Thank yes. you so much. And thank you to Adrian, who just talked me into that. So wow. Yes, thank you, came Adrian. up with a brilliant review. Indeed. All right. Thanks, everyone. That brings us to the end of another pod. Mock, Joe and Brookie, love oh, your work. Where can we find you on the socials? Look, Mark? I'm at Steve Mock everywhere that you want to find me. Be like these great people and find us. Give us five stars. Leave a great review, such as Smiley Face. You are my very own TV week, they say. Love you uh, all. Aww. A must yes, a must listen each week for interesting and insightful critiques of what's currently on the box in its many guises. Don't stop. Oh. And... One two three garden art says love this show. Then now they do start their review with a bit of a you know sort of helpful hint. A broadcast schedule would be great. Look, we try to help oh. that out and acknowledge when you know stuff is on there. We are getting better because sometimes we have been not great at saying where you can find the show. Um, they continue, however, always a disappointing week when there is no new episode and a little forewarning would help manage oh. expectations. We hear you. Oh, that's so We cute. don't always no, know. We don't know, that's right. <laughs> so glad I followed you all over from TV Black Box. The TV knowledge is amazing and the reviews and recommendations have led me to shows I would not have found on my own. The chemistry and professionalism of all the panellists make this podcast a pleasure sure to listen to. And that's fabulous. You can do oh. that. And next time, all of you bludgers, vote for us in the podcast awards. 
<laughs> Do we get any Jeremy. votes? Do we know? Well, you got at least four. At least four. And my sister, five. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Joe, where can we find all you? All right, so you can find me. I, I didn't do my own housework today. If you actually look at in my Instagram, at joe.casamento, you will see mm. that someone else did it for me. Wow. A magic fairy called the Urban Company. Nice, nice, nice. You can nice. get on. And if you put the uh, promo code JOE15 in, you'll get 15 bucks off. <gasps> I'll be doing that next week when I move out of my apartment. There you go. All right, Brookie, where can we find you? You can find me at Viscount Brookie, and as of next week, I'm joining the Ackerfellas. Well, Uh, yes, (laughs) in the lead role, I would hope. And I'm at (laughs) I'm at Dan M Bennett on Twitter and underscore Dan M Bennett on Instagram. Thanks for listening. We look forward to your company again next week for our final show for 2020. It's going to be a big one. Until then, we're out. Bye.